0: This episode is brought to you in part by the Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Darrell Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table From Christianity Today, this is the Art of Pastoring. I'm Jared Wilson,
1: and I'm Ronnie Martin. Well, hey, I'm here with uh, my boy Jared C. Wilson. Man, I'm excited to be doing another ep here of the Art of Pastoring. Before we start, I want to just thank all of our listeners. They've been really cool, Jared. They've been um, man. (laughs) We
0: have have the coolest listeners.
1: We do. I mean, the feedback we've been getting has been, I would say, 99.9 percent encouraging. And that's, I don't, I don't. In fact, I can't. I just say 99.9 because I can't remember if we've had any. Any other kind of feedback that's... That no, there's
0: been... Yeah, There's it's been very little. It's the same complaint, which I won't repeat okay. on, on the on the air, but... Oh, so
1: we have a... It's the mystery complaint. It's, like, right. it's
0: only been like one or two okay. that, 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 that don't like a particular thing, but...
1: Oh, that's right. Okay, I do know what you're talking yeah. about, although nobody else besides that But there's nothing person. we can
0: do about it. I, let's just speak very vaguely about it so yeah. people can, can guess. It could be a guessing game. There's nothing... There's literally nothing you and I can do. Yeah. Uh, about it about this mystery uh, complaint about yeah. this mystery complaint it's okay. not a thing like oh we got a well i mean i guess we could <laughs> in a sense but it, it's not yeah it's not about banter or anything oh, like man. that so everybody,
1: it's, we it's, just have everybody wondering what this is now i, I mean know. at some well, that's point that's good a little bit of mystery a little bit at some point maybe we'll we'll bring it up it'll be a f- in fact it could it could actually make for a future app
0: Maybe we could do an episode yeah. on it, yeah. Well, okay, so... And, if, if we're feeling brave. Yeah, if we're feeling brave, right? If we want to take some more,
1: some, uh, we want to take some hits maybe. But you, when um, we did some pre-show prep for this episode, when we were kind of talking about what we wanted to discuss, you mentioned something along the lines of codependence between pastors and their congregations, almost like pastors being functional saviors. And I think that struck something with me because... I think that's something that we see a lot. It probably does get discussed often, but I, I I'm hoping we can unpack it in all of its like subtleties because you brought out some points in our prep that I, I think would be worth really kind of unpacking a little bit. What what were those things? Like what, what struck you about that?
0: Well, I think it plays out on a few different levels, and it's such a temptation. It's such a hazard of the job, so yeah. to speak, because it's something that's embedded just in our relationality. I think the way that legitimately we, we need each other, it's not good for us to be alone. The church is made up of, of parts and one can't say to the other, I have no need of you. Yeah. So I think there's a, a kernel, or at least in the image of God, we are made for community. So there's a good sense to it, which is why I think it can be so deceptive. I think it plays out in a few different ways. So think of, for instance, the pastor in counseling. He has a counselee, someone mm-hmm. he's meeting with on a regular basis for encouragement and for help and biblical advisement on certain issues. They're recovering from something or they're working through some sort of issue. They're in recovery, whatever it is. And there's something that can happen where the pastor becomes for the counselee the current drug, <laughs> I guess, you know, yeah. how, like I, I can't get through the week if I'm not able to meet with you. The same thing plays out in the wider world with, with therapists and that sort of thing where yeah. we have moments of panic. Like I, I need to see my therapist this week, so on and so forth. I think there's something that can play out with between the pastor and an individual, either in counseling or, or even discipleship relationships. Like I can't grow if I'm not able to meet this week or, or that sort of thing. And it can go both ways where the pastor, by no intention of his own, commits to a certain amount of, of interaction and and meeting, which they ought to do. Mm-hmm. In the other party, there's this, now, I don't know what I will do if I can't meet with the pastor. And so even the idea of, not, of there being an end in sight, of there being a stop point, becomes a feeling of anxiety because... The pastor has now become the crutch or or the drug that I need to get by. But it goes the other way as well, yeah, right? Like yeah. where the pastor is addicted to feeling needed <laughs> and suffers withdrawal symptoms if they're not feeling like they're supplying care for people. Their identity is so wrapped up in the work rather than in Christ that they need other people to need them. And that's dangerous as well. But I think it plays out on the corporate scale as well. And maybe you and I can kind of tease out some of those things.
1: I mean, it's interesting what you're saying because it's it sounds like what, what you're describing is that it's so easy and there's like a danger and a warning for pastors to really guard against developing unhealthy relationships with the neediest people in their congregation. And I guess there is something addicting about that because I'm also thinking – about that particular kind of pastor who maybe isn't so drawn to doing care and counseling. And those kinds of things are the stressors for them. If they know they got to go do a session on a Tuesday night and they're losing sleep because they know that this person is depending on them way more than they have anything to offer. And so it it can work that way. But I think we don't hear about that as much as we hear about the men who become, like you said, who who become addicted to, to having that it's almost like there's an, an intangible on one hand, but tangible need on the other hand to where is it, and this is kind of my question to you, is this a way that pastors sort of justify their existence, justify their job, which is pastoral work is a, is a weird job. It's hard to quantify. It's so hard to measure, you know, the hours. What are the hours? I don't know. And so is this something that is tangible? I'm, I'm doing sessions with people. And not only is it a session that can be measured by hours, but I'm contributing something of which they will be feeding off of.
0: I think so. And it's such a multifaceted thing as well. And again, I think deceptive because mm. it would be a bad pastor who had a consistent sense of detachment from people and, and didn't whose heart wasn't inclined towards yeah, people and, right. and didn't want to meet people's needs and, you know, feed them and and help them and that sort of thing to be a pastor. I think that can belie certain really idolatrous tendencies of a craving for power. I mean, it can be a powerful thing. Yeah. You meet with somebody and they walk out of the room feeling like this made my week. Now I can get by. And suddenly, and you feel like, man, like I really helped someone can very easily become, I have the power. I, I'm the only one who can help, you know, this person. and No,
1: that's, that's spot on because we'll... You have that rare session with somebody that that went well, you yeah. know, and then you. Just, <laughs> right. It's almost like that sermon that actually, like, you felt like went well, and then you get that particular kind of feedback, which is like, "Oh, that was so helpful. That really impacted me. And that that I don't know, you know, that does something to a person, doesn't it?
0: It can go to your head. You can begin to feel like you're the functional Messiah for someone. You're you're the functional Savior, and the whole goal of of pastor in general is to be pointing people to Jesus, shepherding them to Jesus. That's the point of that counseling encounter. That's the point of the discipleship relationship. That's the point of the Sunday morning sermon, all of that. But when people are beginning to pat you on the back or feel like you're the deal, and it's very clear in your mind that they sense a need for you that is outsized to their need for Christ, you have a choice to make, really, whether you're going to point them away from you to Jesus, or whether you're going to go, wow, that's right. Look at what I've got. Look at what I've done. And it begins to kind of stroke you in the wrong ways. And I think there's probably some good diagnostic questions maybe that I think pastors can ask themselves to see, am I erring in this way? I think one of them may be, do you have trouble ending, putting a boundary on something, right? You, You can't be the counselor to every individual in your church for time unending. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it may not be when you start with someone that you set an end date, but there needs to at least be a goal, some point at which you say you, you either are graduating to now being discipled by you know another member of our church, or we don't need to meet anymore on a weekly basis. Maybe we'll touch base once a month or something like that. If you have trouble kind of discerning an end, it's an unending cycle, it could be a codependence one way or the other. The other person's not ready to let go even when they ought to, which is a sign that they're not really growing yet. But if you have trouble letting go, it could be a sign of just this idolatrous need for being needed. Being needed,
1: yeah. You know, I remember I was given really good advice years ago by an older kind of mentor pastor of mine. And when some of those counseling situations started ramping up for me, I, I remember he said very specifically The best thing you can do is to, to the best of your ability, because sometimes things arise out of situations to where you, you have to wait to make certain decisions. But he did say to the best of your ability, try to pre-plan, be preemptive in terms of even having an honest conversation with, let's just say it's a couple that's coming in and you're already able to assess the situation a little bit. And even to be able to say something like, hey, so let's plan on meeting three times then being able to kind of assess where we're at and then see what kind of care that maybe beyond what kind of care I'm even able to provide that, that you might need. But it does give you an end date and it does give you an ability to say, Hey, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to fix this, you know, at the end of the day. And you're reminding them, you know, that, that you are not their functional savior and you are also not the fixer of the problem. And I think right. we have such a tendency. And I and I just think it's a natural tendency is that when someone comes to us and they ask for help, our first thought, almost like what we snap back to, what we default to is, okay, even if I give you a good word, that's going to go a long ways in terms of fixing the problem and fixing the situation. And so, and I think that one of the reasons why we're so fix-it oriented is that there's something deeply rooted that's a little off and a little wrong inside of us. But I also wonder if it's because there's, there's a level of anxiety there that says, if I can just make everything better, it alleviates the burden of it. I can clear my head and I can move on to other pastoral work that's not quite as intense, right? Because this can put such a burden on us when it comes to these types of like scenarios, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, it doesn't go anywhere good to have that mentality of, I'm the silver bullet for any of these issues. I think the the desire to or the the assumption that you can fix any problem leads to just more problems. Yeah. In so many different cases. This plays out on the corporate level as well. So it may not be necessarily with an individual. I think the pastor who man, they need that Sunday morning experience and the feedback from it to get them through, right? And and it doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't be encouraged by the gathering or or good encouragement and that sort of thing. But when you're so identified with the work. You're indistinguishable from the work itself. You become, you think of yourself in terms of what you do and how you perform. It's such an unhealthy and honestly sinful assumption to make where, man, you just would be laid low if you don't get the right amount of of ego stroking in response to your sermon or how the church is doing, how the church is going. I think that's kind of a corporate kind of, for sure. codependence as well. And I think you would know that. I mean, I was beginning to sense that when I'd go on vacation or take a break and I would have thoughts like, they're not going to be able to manage without me or,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: or it's not going to be as good. You know, I'd right. in the back of my mind like, ah, you know, they're going to have somebody else and all these sorts of things. And apart from that, just being so arrogant, it's a form of codependence because it, it was me thinking that church really needs me and it felt good to feel like I'm needed, needed by that church. Like if I'm not there, it's going to fall apart. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is like saying I'm God. Essentially, I'm the one who holds everything up. I'm the one who's upholding the universe by the word of my power. You know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think you hit on something that struck me, which is there really is an underlying fear. I think in terms of pastoral ministry, where well, we most pastors feel very ill-equipped, regardless of your degree even regardless of how many years you've been in ministry. I mean, sure, you, you might gain some confidence in some areas, but there's always this relationship between how you feel about how you're able to address a situation and whatever sort of wisdom or experience or skill level you bring into it. You're probably never going to come to a place where you, maybe there's a whole other discussion, but you're probably never going to come to a place where you just think, I got it. You give me a counseling session, you give me a sermon you give me, you know, vision casting, you get planning, like, man, I'm just, I got this thing, I'm aces, man, I got this thing all nailed down. I mean, that's problematic. If you if you come to that place that you do, it also makes you wonder, just in the sense that there's such a drive to fix and to be functional, even if you're not trying to be a functional savior to be so functional, because you're so afraid that you're going to be exposed to the people as a fraud. And as somebody who, who really doesn't, have that much in the tank and who really doesn't carry that much wisdom. This congregation, of course, would be able to find a better equipped pastor because there's always going to be a better equipped everything in everybody's vocation. And I wonder if that underlying fear is really what sometimes fuels us and not even so much like, man, I just, what I get and the identity I get from, from being a fixer and a functional savior. I wonder if it's just, I'm afraid I'm going to be exposed.
0: Hmm. It's fundamentally what you just described is a distraction or a departure from the gospel. Yeah, oh yeah. There's no condemnation for us in Christ. In Christ, I am justified. I find my validation in him. I find my approval in him. And when we begin to feel discontent and disgruntled about the level of validation, approval, justification we have in our work or in people's response to it, it's a way of saying the gospel isn't enough. It's not doing the job or it's not cutting it. I need this, I need these people to need me to feel like I'm worthy, to feel like I'm good, to feel like I'm approved of. It's just so easy to kind of get our eyes off of who we are in Christ. And then the flip side to that, or the alternative is, the more confidence or, or the more security you sense in the gospel, the less pushy, bossy, but also wimpy and Mm. (laughs) sad sacky and pouty you'll be (laughs) when it comes to what's going on in your church, because you realize that the Lord who is in control of all those things anyway, loves you and approves of you despite everything because of Jesus. So being in touch with the true gospel is is, is such an antidote to this thing, but it's not something that any of us wake up with on our minds, first of all. It's what am I going to do? What am I going to be? You know, yeah. who am I going to meet with? What am I going to accomplish? Am I going to get to my to-do list?
1: And that's kind of a, you're describing something that needs to be, you're describing like a retraining of the mind, like a renewal of the mind. or the renewal really. of the mind, sure. Yeah, for it's sure. It's a daily
0: repent, I mean, we can call it repentance is what it is. It may yeah. not look the same or feel the same as stopping doing a particular behavioral sin, but that's really what it is. It's a turning from a different trust to the secure trust that we have in Jesus. And I don't know that I don't know a pastor who really struggles with this. Some are better at it than others, but I just think it's a human condition. It is, we, yeah. We, we need to feel empowered. We need to feel validated and approved. And we'll try to get it in these kind of manageable ways, which only lead to despair in mm. in the end, you know.
1: This episode is brought to you by Church Law & Tax. Church Law & Tax understands the realities of church work, helping thousands of churches stay informed and get equipped with comprehensive resources on legal, tax, financial, and risk management matters. Do you have a question on housing allowance? Need information on selecting church insurance? Looking for insights on what is or isn't unrelated business income? Or how about some guidance on how to properly receive charitable contributions? churchlawandtax.com equips you for success with access to the most respected and knowledgeable attorneys, accountants, financial advisors, and risk managers guiding churches today. Get the practical information and timely coverage you need to keep your church up to date and lead your ministry with confidence. Join churchlawandtax.com today. I'm putting you on the spot right now, but tell us a story about a time, because I think I'm, I'm thinking about a particular story, but I'll, I'll, I'll pivot to you first, about somebody who had sort of those, on the flip of it, somebody who had unrealistic expectations of what you could provide, and they were depending on you for all of that instead of depending on Christ, even though you you were likely pointing them to Christ, but to them, you had just you were the one in that role that was going to make everything better. I mean, do you have a story about that where it, it didn't go well or it actually kind of experienced some redemption or restoration in it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm convinced that one of the biggest, you know, we talked about fans to critics in, yeah. in a previous episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm convinced that one of the biggest turns that I experienced from a fan to a critic hinged on my inability to solve a counseling issue. Uh in that person's family now they didn't say this is just my this is just my theory because i I can't figure anything else that makes enough sense but there was a particular issue that was ongoing i mean and it was so complex and needed Uh. really skilled and advanced counseling abilities and and that sort of thing which we did we referred the parties involved to more capable and qualified counselors yeah outside that I kept in touch with. So it wasn't like I was trying to pass them off at all. I was still meeting with them. But this was a thing, like I inherited this. The problem didn't occur when I got there. Yeah. It had been going on for years. Multiple people in the church, both the previous pastor and other couples in the church were were speaking into the situation and counseling. None of them could solve it. And this is just the latest kind of flare up of this issue. And I'm meeting with them. And I'm doing all I know to do, which is to to empathize, to remind them of the gospel, to encourage them, to give them practical things they can do, to work on this, that, and, and the other area in their life, and so on and so forth. But at some point, I realized this is essentially a black hole mm. of, of emotion that I'm not able to fill it up. And it doesn't mean that I'm disinterested or going to become detached because I'm their pastor and I care about them, but the amount of time and, and energy poured into this is having no discernible effect. They need more intensive help than I can provide. And I didn't solve the issue. Mm. And this particular person, I think he saw me in some ways as a guy who was who had come to the church to solve a lot of problems. Right. To be the guy. Yeah. And it felt great at first because I loved someone thinking I was the guy. (laughs) And when I couldn't solve this issue, I think it kind of like reality crashed in for all of us. But I had to put some boundaries up and say, I don't think this is helpful. It's not helping you guys. I'm not able to provide the care that you you Uh, need. Yeah. I'm not going to solve this issue. At some point, you got to take some personal responsibility for some of these things. You also, I think, need a little bit more buy-in with another counselor. It's just all these sorts of things that you just have to discern. Totally. It wasn't for lack of trying. It turned them sour because mm-hmm. I didn't have the magic words Yeah, in that situation. So that's one I mean, that's one that I can think of. How, how about yourself? I'll put you on the spot then.
1: One in particular, I remember a, a new couple came to the church. They, they'd been with us a little while. They weren't really, I, I would say they weren't incredibly aligned with us theologically and where we were at. And they had an older daughter who was out of the house already and kind of a young adult and was experiencing some problems with her boyfriend. And she was a professing believer. So they said, we'd love it if you could sit down and just talk through some of those things where I said, yeah, of course. So I did. And it turns out, you know, this, this young woman is just, I mean, she's living just this, this crazy lifestyle and she's, what happens a lot of time in situations where they, they find this one almost minuscule thing. That's that they've kind of, you know, exaggerated of, of what the the actual problem is, you know, in, in their lives. And this, this happened to be something with her, her boyfriend. And so, you know, I just, I brought it back to this thing. I, you know, where I said, Hey, I I would love to talk about where you're at with, with Jesus. And can we talk about your experience with the gospel and how Christ informs your life and your decisions? Because I, I noticed you you're making a lot of decisions and they have, really have nothing to do with your boyfriend. So really all I did long story short was I really wanted to bring it back to let's kind of dive in and see what the condition of your heart is because I think first things first before we get into some of these other things cuz those are going to inform those other things. Right. And she just was looking at me like I was speaking like a foreign language to her and it went <laughs> dude it went really really bad because I wasn't giving her any solutions And I kept going back to, well, the the problem is that I think we got to take it back. We got to go back. We got to go back. And she was really unresponsive. So interestingly enough, the Sunday after that session, her parents show up and they're sitting in the back and I could see her mom was glaring at me through the sermon and I could sense something was wrong. And literally she came up to me afterwards and she literally started jabbing at me in my chest. And she said, "I expected you to sit down with her and to help her through these situations." And she walked away, saying, "I don't think this guy even thinks I'm a Christian, Mom." <laughs> and, I said, <laughs> and I said, "Well,
0: did you I, say I, I don't?" I said, I, I said, "Well, I'm not
1: sure, given how she's living her life." And I, I go, "You know, I go, I'm not here to judge your daughter." I go, "But we were trying to get to some of the underlying things that that some of these other things are rooted in or, or the result of." And it was one of those things where it was, I was not meeting her expectations, which was basically tell her everything's okay, tell her everything she's going through is natural for a twenty-three-year-old to experience, and that as long as she just you know stays on the path and does her best, you know, it was it was, all, it was it was kind of morality-driven at the end of the day. Right. It goes back to this idea of kind of like what you were what you were describing, which is man, I didn't have enough answers and I certainly wasn't going to wave a a magic wand or I, I certainly wasn't going to tell her things were great about her life that weren't great and that were out of alignment with the gospel. But again, a lot of it I think is that word expectations, right? Like the person you were dealing with had an expectation that you just absolutely weren't meeting. And I wonder if when we go into these scenarios, if it's helpful to do a good job on the front end of laying out what the expectations should be you know
0: i yeah for sure i mean i i can think of a couple that i was meeting with that their marriage was in serious trouble mm. and it seemed like divorce was kind of on the horizon mm. and the first thing i asked was do you both want do you want to save this marriage yeah because if one party says not really or i'm just here because they've asked me to come and i, I said i would do this as kind of the last stop on the what you know there's nothing I can do. I mean, I can meet with one of you who, you know, and, right. you know, help you and encourage you and the, you know, that sort of thing. But in terms of like, you know, helping you save your marriage, if you don't both want that, there's nothing we can really yeah. do. You know, there's nothing I can do for you. Totally. And I remember asking them that. And I knew in my gut that one of the spouses, I mean, I just sensed it, like, she doesn't want to be married. Right. Yeah. But she says yes. And so then you're like, okay. And then you, sp- I'm not going to call her a liar, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. But I'm sensing that, no, and it's proving itself true. We begin to meet on a regular basis, and it goes nowhere. Mm. One party's doing a lot of the work. The other one is not. And you're bending over backwards to try to bring that one around. and, And you just know that until they change their mind, until they have a change of heart, there's nothing I can say or, or do to that's going to flip a switch here, and in the end, I mean it just it just blew up despite all the time and energy put into it. So you know, yeah, I I think if you're not able on the front end to kind of set the expectations of what it even means to meet with a pastor, <laughs> yeah, right? Sure. Like, I'm not just here to kind of give you some Osteenisms to make you feel better. I'm, I'm here to open up the book in front of you. I'm, I'm yeah. here to remind you of, of the truths of the gospel, to remind you of who you are, if you're a professing believer in Christ, to point you to Jesus, if you're not a professing believer, you know, all those sorts of things. Yeah. But I can't do what he can do. I, I, I can't replace him. Right, And so if the expectations are different, it it, it will never work out if you're not on the same page.
1: I know. And I I wonder, too, if it's not just such a grace of Jesus to put pastors in those scenarios over and over again so that they can just get like a picture of how much they aren't Jesus, how much how much their job is to is to point people to Jesus, to open scripture and to the best of their ability, like lead them to the place where they're going to experience the drink of gospel water that they need. But at the end of the day, there's a helplessness to what we do. And I think when we're in those scenarios and we find ourselves, I think with that tendency and that bend towards wanting to fix, wanting to be a functional savior, and then I think repeatedly Christ sort of like he pulls the carpet out from under us. It's actually a grace because if we have ears to hear, if we have hearts to really kind of Pause and pull back and and to, to settle into the realities of what that is and who we actually are in that scenario. I mean, we're gonna experience a level of hard but healthy sanctification, I think, that's just gonna help us in our in our roles for sure. You know?
0: Yeah, I, I believe one of the cures for codependence is experiencing the failure of it. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> just seeing yeah, man. I'm on this hamster wheel, which is just indication that <laughs> This isn't going anywhere or having it it blow up and realizing, oh, I cannot be Christ to them. Totally. Can't be Christ for them. I think that's really the only way to kind of, you know, that's the only antidote, I think, probably. Otherwise, we're just going to keep drifting into it. And then going forward, being able to set proper boundaries and expectations and the right understanding of what this relationship is. Yeah becomes easier and and better. I mean, I can tell you by the time I got to that couple, which was towards the tail end of my last pastorate, the person who wants out is more critical of me than the one who wants in. Right. That's that's what's so strange. The one who wanted to save the marriage wasn't very frustrated with my failure to save their marriage, but the person who wanted out was increasingly increasingly critical. To the point of this group meeting, where the things that she's describing that she wanted me to do, I, I, I'm realizing it's not a pastor you wanted. You wanted a boyfriend. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not going to stop by your house <laughs> on, yeah. and mow the yard for you. You know all these sorts of <laughs> things. Like that's not what that's not that's not what I do. And and that I think being able to to handle that. I mean it was it was very hurtful, but being able to kind of absorb that and just put it in the right category. I don't think I would have been able to get there if I hadn't already been through years of seeing, okay, I'm a human being, which means there are limitations for sure. what I can do yeah. and what I can be for people.
1: I know. And I think that's such a good word. And I, and I think as we're thinking about pastors who are listening to this pod, it's, there's a sense of saying, hey, you can exhale in these situations. You know, like you, you need to breathe out like you need to tell yourself you need to you need to preach the gospel to yourself in the sense that you remember you remember who you are and more importantly who he is so that you don't keep morphing into this monster that's trying to be something that god is actually trying to sanctify you away from but what an important word for us and i think it's something that is has to be intentionality It has to be something where we have good friends in community, maybe other pastors in our lives that are reminding us, hey, it's okay, man. It's okay, man. You were never meant to have the ability to do what you may be being asked to do, but you're never going to be able to accomplish. Because again, that's the work of Christ in the Spirit right there.
0: That's right. Dependence on Him is the solution to codependence with others. 100%. It was good talking with you today, brother. Yeah, man. You've been listening to the Art of Pastoring podcast. Open
1: now the crystal when's the
0: If you're liking the show, please take a minute and give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps other people find us. You can find Ronnie and me on Twitter at at Ronnie J. Martin and at Jared C. Wilson. Feel free to hit us up with questions and potential topics for the show. We'd love to hear from you. The Art of Pastoring is a production of Christianity Today. It's produced by Mike Cosper, editing by Mike Cosper and Aaron Leslie, mixing by Aaron Leslie. Our theme song is Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah by Jeremy Casella.